you're listening to the Wander Well Podcast, your place for travel and wellness, transparency, inspiration, and motivation. I'm your host, Katie J. Hello, hello, Wanderers. Today for Wander Woman Wednesday, we have an interview with Laura Hughes. Laura is the host of the podcast Women on the Road, which breaks off from the She Explores podcast and website. Laura built out a van with her partner Shane and has been living in it for almost a full year. When I interviewed her back in December, she had been living in it for about nine months and has a very unique perspective to share. So without further ado, I started off with asking her about a book that she thinks everybody should read. What book do you think everyone needs to read and why? Um, There are a lot of great books out there. I'm honestly drawn to The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. That's one of my all-time favorite books, and I've read it at several points in my life where I've been changing directions or been feeling less grounded and it has a Paulo Coelho uh, is, I think he grew up Catholic, so it does have a slightly religious tilt if you do subscribe to any one religion. But if you don't, it also has a lot to offer in terms of just general life philosophy and some really inspiring thoughts on adventuring and trying new things in the face of uncertainty and following your passion and your heart. And I just really love it. You know, it's funny, that book has actually was actually recommended to me just last week by somebody else. So, no way. <laughs> and I, I read it before, but I read it back, you know, right after high school. And I don't think that I fully appreciated or understood what it was trying to say. And so I'm like, I think I need to go back and read it. Yeah, totally. There's, there's a lot to it. I have one copy of it. I, I read a lot of um I guess I listen to a lot of audiobooks now because I travel on the road and we have to keep things light. So I don't have many tangible copies of anything, but at my parents' house in storage, I have one tangible copy of The Alchemist that I've written lots of notes in and um, have just added to the annotations over the years. It's really great. Nice. Awesome. Well, can you tell us more about the work that you do through and with She Explores and Women on the Road podcast? Yeah, of course. So about three years ago, just over three years ago, I was in the process of building out a camper van with my boyfriend, Shane, and it was very daunting. And I didn't know as a woman how I was going to fit into that equation, which in retrospect sounds funny, but I didn't see a lot of women out there doing what I wanted to do and what we wanted to do. So I was feeling a little bit uncertain at the time as to how I was going to live and travel out of a van and if that was going to be the right choice for me. So I found She Explores through an online search um, through Instagram. And at the time, Gail Straub, the founder of She Explores, was traveling in her own sprinter van with her boyfriend, and she was doing profiles on women with this online interview series called Women on the Road, and I just fell in love with it. I was so happy to have a platform to go to where I could feel a little bit validated and get different ideas from people and see all the different ways women were living on the road. And that made it feel possible for me. 
So after being in touch with Gail a little bit and wanting to do some writing and photography for She Explores, at the time it was just an online journal. So now there's also a podcast called She Explores. Um, But at the time, Gail was mainly focused on articles and photography. And we developed a relationship over the last few years to the point where when I was getting ready to actually hit the road full time, after a couple of years of building out the van, um, Gail and I talked about the possibility of me taking a podcast on the road and bringing women on the road to life through the voices of other women travelers, as well as some of my own insights as I got to learn the ropes of full-time van travel. So when did you take over Women on the Road? Well, I still collaborate very heavily with Gail. So I produce and direct the all the creative elements of it. Gail does a lot of the fine-tuning of the audio and makes sure that the story arc makes sense. So she's definitely given me a lot of good feedback on how the episodes have developed and has been really key in making sure that it's something that our audience is going to feel inspired by and understand. Um, as you know, being a podcast host yourself, as I'm sure you're starting to to feel, just making sure that you're really doing the interviewee justice and getting their story out there, even if when you talk it comes, you know, in in little rambled bits or it's a little bit circular or out of order. Um, we collaborate heavily on making sure that the story is something listeners are going to hear. Um, I started to answer your question more directly, though. I started. Um, hosting the podcast and developing it with Gail almost a year ago, so early spring of 2017, and have been being more and more involved in it since then. But Gail's still very much a part of the picture. And have you been on the road for the full duration of that? Almost. I've been traveling full-time since April of this year, so about 10 months now, I guess about nine months now. And it's been awesome. We traveled part-time before that. So we'd travel pretty much every weekend. We weren't working on the van. We were in the van going somewhere in the Northwest, or we'd take our vacation time to go down to the Southwest. And sometimes on Thursday nights where we had to work the next day, we would actually go park the van at a little cafe like nearby on the streets in Seattle where we'd never been before and try out a new coffee shop Yeah, on Friday mornings uh, just to get a little sense of adventure and use the van to its fullest. Nice. Awesome. I was also very inspired by a lot of the van life stories on Instagram and bought a van. Kind of, I didn't rip out a whole lot of it, but, you know, put a bed in there, added some shelving, made it really homey. And then I was going to take it on this East coast road trip to visit friends and family that I just got back from two days ago. And, but before I went, I took it to my mechanic and keep in mind, I also replaced the transmission in this thing. Like it had already seen a mechanic, but they didn't bother to tell me the first time that the rust was just so bad that, I mean, my mechanic was like, you really should not be driving this. Oh no. I know. After all that work. I know. So I immediately sold it and just did the, the trip in my, my Honda. (laughs) Gosh, how was that in your Honda? <laughs> it was it was fine. I mean, I didn't sleep in it. I ended up just making sure that I was stopping in cities where I could stay with friends um, or families or friends of friends, that kind of thing. I mean, I could have slept in it. I could have tent camped or whatever, but it was a, a quick 
trip, a quick turnaround anyway. So I didn't, I didn't fret too much about it, but I definitely listened to both She Explores and Women on the Road. Those, I mean, 40, some 48 hours of driving that happened. So. Oh, that's awesome. The East Coast too is harder for traveling like that. I've heard we actually haven't been over there to travel in our van, but just a lot of people who've either traveled there or from there like, yeah, you can't do as much just open, free, dispersed, park wherever you want instead of camp type of camping, which is what we really like. Mm -hmm. And so for those reasons, um, we're gonna, that's a little lower on our priority list now. But I know it's so beautiful over there. Yeah, yeah, it is beautiful. But I, I can definitely see that I went I went to school out there and it's just there is a huge community of explorers especially in the Appalachian Trail and the Blue Ridge Mountains beautiful out there but not as camper friendly uh especially in you don't see as many vans um I'll see a lot of RVs but you don't see as many vans so it's interesting okay well what what obstacles did you have to overcome to get where you were today in both van life and travel and the podcast creation? You know, there were a lot of elements to getting where we are now and a lot of moving pieces to the point that I think a lot of my initial anxiety around living on the road had actually very little to do with, oh, where am I going to wash my hair? How am I going to pee? And more, (laughs) yeah, it's it's a real question people have a lot. And it was actually more about how are we going to sustain this? Will I be able to save up the money? I have no idea how we're going to turn this empty cargo van into a home. What does that look like? What are we going to have to give up to do that? And so because of all those pieces, I think that creates some anxiety. So the some of the biggest challenges really were making all those pieces work together at the same time. So we would be building the van Um, on weekends and on weeknights after our full-time jobs, which were really good jobs we're really thankful for, but they were also really fast-paced and, you know, they're office jobs. So you're working five days a week and it can be a little bit exhausting, especially in the wintertime when it gets really dark early. And so a lot of nights where we were, you know, heating up the van and trying to work on it out behind our apartment in a little alley that we had the van parked in or wondering if I was going to be able to save up enough money because we wanted to spend some time traveling together first without worrying about having to have remote work or building up businesses quite yet. So I'd never saved up that much money before. So that was a personal challenge of just wondering if I could do it um, while paying off student loans and you know affording housing in Seattle, which is really tough, especially right now. You know, it all ended up working out. <laughs> and I, I don't I don't mean to make it sound that easy. It's it's not that easy, but we took our time. A lot of people don't, which also has its benefits. Some people throw van builds together in two months. We have friends who have done them in ten days. You know, sometimes people do them over a weekend. It's it really depends on the situation that you want to give yourself, but we really wanted to just take our time, make sure that the build was what we wanted it to be. So when we took off, it was our home. We had used it a lot. It felt comfortable to us and we knew everything was going to work the way we wanted it to. And then with saving up money and figuring out how we would transition our careers, I mean, it's it's really a series of small steps. 
it was just a small step every day, every week, every month, every paycheck. And we also gave our employers tons of notice. So it wasn't a big stressful event. It was a transition that we made over the course of a couple of years. And looking back now, it's like, oh, wow, we made a big life change, but we did it in small stages. Yeah. Do you think that your the lifestyle that you and Shane have created is to the point where it's sustainable long term? I don't you know, long term is relative, right? Maybe that's a year, five years, 10 years. But also along the same lines, do you want it to be sustainable for that long? Do you see yourself living and working out of the van for, you know, five, 10 years? Yeah, that's a really good question. We talk about that a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So just to give you a quick context, when we first hit the road, the plan was to have money saved up for around a year. And we told all our friends, oh, we'll be on the road six months to a year, we think. We don't know. Maybe we'll hate it. Maybe we'll love it. We don't know. But the the target was always, let's build this out and save up money as if we had a year that we wanted to live out of it. And within two months, I remember we were parked somewhere camping, and we looked at each other, and one of us said, so in 10 months, we'd need to get an apartment if we stuck to our original plan. And we both laughed and said, there's no way we're doing that. We can't go back. <laughs> so we pretty early on became, you know, enamored with the lifestyle we'd created. And although it's not super glamorous, we love it. And we don't want to go back to what we were doing before anytime soon. Um, I don't know if that means we'll live in the van for forever, we want to keep the van for as long as humanly possible. We're really not interested in taking all that work that we spent a few years, you know, putting our time and money and, and heartfelt um, resources into and, and ditching it after, you know, 100,000 miles. I think we're in it for as long as we can have the van. But after that, we want to keep traveling. We're building up businesses right now that are remote and we can do from anywhere, which takes a lot of time and effort. But once we have that, we would like to be able to travel abroad and live all over the world and do that. So the van is a good stage of getting there, a good step of getting there. And then we also get to see the whole country, which is really cool, too. I, I love that. I mean, you thought back to the conversation and not even sure who said it. You were like, one of us said this, but we both just kind of were thinking it at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> it is kind of crazy, especially... <laughs> living in the van with a partner. I think you start, we joked this morning, even that we're living the same life, but differently, you know, like we have, we have our own style as to how we do, you know, van living. Like Shane likes to get up really early in the morning. I like to sleep in a little bit because it's winter and it's dark out and I'm cold, you know, but at the same time, yeah, you start thinking a lot of the same things because you're exposed to near identical experiences, which as a really independent woman is just weird to me to have that relationship with your partner, but we make it our own. Yeah. And I, I, I can't remember which episode it was, but I was listening to it on my way back to Austin. So after, you know, finishing my road trip, just trying to get back here as soon as possible. And you got, you mentioned how you were in maybe Denver or Boulder and you had been there for a week and that was the longest you had stayed in one place. You we were both agreed that I think we're done here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's actually interesting you mentioned that because we have since slowed down so much. And that's one thing about living on the road that really does change drastically your lived experience is how fast you're going. 
And whether you're trying to get around to multiple states or all the states or all the national parks or whatever it is you're trying to do, if you're trying to go really fast, I mean, that affects how long you can stay on the road just practically because of gas money that affects. Yeah, it affects a lot of things like how you see things. But um, we took a short break um, of being on the road in October and went back up to the Northwest to see our family before the holidays kicked in because we weren't, we knew we weren't going to be around for the holidays. It's just too cold and dark and wet and we didn't want to do it. Um, (laughs) Just being honest, but we love them. I wanted to see them. And so we did it in October when it was only mildly dark and cold and wet. And we realized that after that, we were going to need to slow down just to have some space and be able to breathe financially. But we also wanted to not worry about planning logistics every day. It's mm. a lot of logistics that goes into living on the road. And you, you have to be continually looking ahead, um, whether it's emptying the garbage or emptying your gray water and filling your fresh water so you actually have running water mm-hmm. or whether you're realizing, oh, I need to take a shower. Like, where's a gym nearby? Or where is, you know, community center, outdoor space that I can shower or a campsite? And It's just a lot to plan, uh, let alone your route of like where you want to go and what you want to see and do. So it's nice to slow down a little bit. We're enjoying it. But yeah, for a while, for good six or seven months, we did not stay in a place for more than two or three days, let alone a week at a time. It was very rare. Wow. Yeah. Do you have any, I mean, besides the obvious answer of Google, do you have any resources that you are kind of your go-to resources for trip planning? Instagram's a really big one. I have mixed feelings, just speaking candidly. I've mixed feelings about Instagram in terms of the perception that it gives people about what is the, quote, right way to live on the road. And that's that's actually something I try to break down a lot with the podcast Women on the Road is just there's no right or wrong way to do it. You don't have to travel to Horseshoe Bend and, um, you know, the Grand Canyon and Havasupai and Joshua Tree in order to make it a really great road trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love what I do love about it is that there's a lot of people out there in the you know, van life community or just other travelers who want to give you tips on places to hike or places to camp out or things, towns you would never, ever hear about that. They're like, oh, this is a gem of a town. You have to check it out. Um, I had a great experience there. Everyone was so friendly. So you build up a network and then you get you give a lot and you get a lot from that. Um, So that definitely inspires us when traveling. But There's also some go-tos that we use all the time for camping um, because we're not usually paying for camping. We do a lot of free dispersed camping. So there are websites like freecampsites.net is a really popular one. Um, Campendium is another one. Um, We use an app called Allstays that I think you do have to pay a really small dollar amount for, but it gives you a lot of crowdsourced information on free camping or other resources um, like showers and water and whether you can sleep overnight in that Walmart parking lot or not. (laughs) So, yeah, we we have a lot of different resources that we lean on for that. And also park rangers. If you go to a national park, you'd be surprised that there are actually some places you can disperse camp, but not in every national park. And so we just ask park rangers about it and tell them about our vehicle. And, you know, you don't have to have a four wheel drive vehicle to make it work. And if there's dispersed camping, they'll tell you about it. You just have to follow leave no trace guidelines and you're good to go. Yeah. And will you explain what dispersed camping is? Yeah. Um, 
It's funny because I think dispersed camping feels really mysterious to a lot of people. But in fact, it's one of the most simple things in the entire world, I feel like. And it, it, we just don't think about it a lot. So there are a lot of pieces of public land around the United States that you can camp on for free. So examples of that would be national forest land. Um, so you can drive your vehicle up a national forest road. And as long as it's within the boundaries of national forest land, you could pull over anywhere that's not blocking the road and camp there. Um, there's also the Bureau of Land Management, which hosts a lot of land around the country that's just open and public for you to use. And so a lot of people go like climbing or they do sports or some people where it's allowed do hunting out there. But for the most part, it's usually pretty desolate and empty of people. What that looks like is us driving down a dirt road that we know is a BLM road or a national forest road. And it'll usually be marked on a map with BLM or NF. So, you know, but you can also get maps that show the boundaries of those lands. Um, so, you know, you're inside of them. And then you can pull over anywhere where there's a spot that's open and seems, you know, level or safe. Sometimes people will have made little stone campfires there. So, you know, people have camped there before and you can pull over and there's obviously no services. So you need to bring your own food, your own water. Um, if you use the bathroom, you need to dig a hole, like all those things um, you just need to be aware of so that you're taking care of the land. And then when you're done, you clean up everything and you leave. And that's how it works. It's really lovely to be able to experience nature that way because there's just no one else out there. It's just you and whatever the environment is under sun and stars, and it's really quiet. So it's pretty amazing. That does sound amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Because I actually didn't, I had, I had never heard that term, but it sounds extremely useful in van camping, van life. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps and build a van, live in it, and create a life where they can sustain themselves on the road? So I ask people who I interview on the podcast this question, and I rarely get asked this myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize now what a hard question it is, but it's a good one. You know, I guess I would first say that you can go on the road anytime you want. If you have a vehicle of any kind, you can go on the road as long as it's safe, right? And mm. not rusted out. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can go on the road. So there are lots of women who live in vans like the one I'm sitting in. That's like a big white cargo van. There are people who travel in buses, school buses. There are people who travel in like big four wheel drive rigs. Um, and there are people who travel in their small sedans or trucks. So um, I would say do what feels right for you with whatever vehicle you choose. And if what feels right is working with what you have, then don't be ashamed of that. Own it. And um, people will respect you for it really greatly. Um, so that's like the first piece is like, do, do what's best for you. And that comes to how you build it out too. So if you know that you're going to be carrying a lot of photography gear because you want to see and capture everything on film or you know through your camera lens then make sure you're building out your van for that we didn't always do that with our build and so we had really awkward conversations like two weeks before we left I brought home my ukulele that was hanging up in my office at work and said I want to bring my ukulele and the ukulele didn't end up blasting in the van because we had to cram it behind the driver's seat and I didn't end up <laughs> so I mean <laughs> I, I guess I would say like 
try to plan for all the things that are going to be in your van, but know that that'll also change a lot. Um, and I would also say like taking small steps is key. Like you don't have to do it all right away unless that's the most important thing. If the most important thing is going next week, then go next week, make it happen. Like it doesn't take much, but if it's important to you to have things in a row and feel a transition happen, then you can take as much time as you want. Just make little steps every day and you're going to get there. Uh, it's, it's inevitable if you keep moving yourself forward. Well, I'm curious because you said that the ukulele didn't last. Are there anything that you brought along from the very beginning where you're like, this is almost entirely a comfort item, right? Like I, it's not necessary for me to have, but it's something that I know that I'm going to need to have in this van for it to feel like home. Yeah. So the ukulele was one of the biggest, I think, like physically one of the biggest. Mm -hmm. We're also multi-sport people. And so it was really challenging for us to think about going on a trip where we didn't have our kayak and our bikes and all of our backpacking gear and our camping stuff. And so what we realized over time was that there were certain things that we wanted to do all the time or certain places where we were that it was just more conducive to doing certain sports out in the Southwest where we like to be. There's a lot of trails for mountain biking. So we did a lot more mountain biking, but we didn't really use the kayak. So I think in retrospect, we did bring a large, almost 17 foot kayak as a comfort item, which is funny, but sometimes comfort items, and this is maybe like a good piece of advice as well. Sometimes comfort items look like something that you wouldn't think them to be. When I think about a comfort item, I think about a blanket or something that's of sentimental value, but they can also be comfort for your self-perception. So we like to perceive ourselves as people who go kayaking um, and do lots of different sports whenever possible. And while that's true, it doesn't mean we need to bring it with us. You can always rent one or you can buy one for really cheap off of somebody on Craigslist and then sell it when you're done with it. So it doesn't have to mean that it is with you 100% of the time. You don't want things to get broken that you really care about. Thing with living on the road too, because you're constantly traveling and like jostling things around. So, um, yeah, it would be the equivalent of having your surfboard in like airplane cargo, you know, storage for, you know, ever. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, we're traveling down roads and things are just rattling around, but we've learned to put things that we really care about in containers that support them. And then everything else is like, well, we don't buy glass. We don't buy ceramics as much as I'd like those things. Like we drink out of stainless steel stuff because it won't break. And if something does break, you know, we better be prepared to replace it or we better take really good care of it. Yeah. Where can people go to learn more about you? So there's a few places. Um, I love to tell stories of women travelers. And one of the ways I do that is through the Women on the Road podcast. So you can go to she-explores.com and find Women on the Road podcast there. Or you can just Google Women on the Road podcast and it will come up. Um, it's also on every podcast app and Apple podcast. So you can find it that way. You can also see some of my other work and my other stories um, through my own website, which is how she views it. And I'm also how she views it on Instagram. So you can find my daily reflections and uh, travel photos um, there too, if you want to follow along and see what I'm up to. 
A huge thank you to Laura for not only spending a few minutes out of her day to speak with me, but also for answering so many of my questions when I was first getting started. The mic that I'm speaking into right now, the Blue Yeti, she suggested it. She uses it on her own podcast, and she also suggested the recording software that I use for Skype. So she has been so helpful with this launch of my own podcast, and I'm so thankful for her. So once again, thank you, Laura, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your van trip with Shane and... I look forward to following your adventures. Everyone go check her out at Women on the Road podcast and how she views it on Instagram and .com. I will check in with you guys again next week for another meditation. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. Have a good one.